So the owner of this Airbnb has uh, begged us for a five-star rating. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's also begged us not to tell the neighbors this is an Airbnb. <laughs> you can only choose one. So I think we should talk about five-star ratings this week. Oh, yeah. I'm Scott Wayne. And I'm Ace Colwood. And this is Envoy Recorded Radio. So there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal. Uh-huh about uh, the plethora of five-star ratings and that no rating is real anymore because uh, the consumer companies have essentially if you rate anything less than five you will be bombarded with customer service messages Ah. asking you why it wasn't a five and so we all just give five stars to be left alone disincentivization under the auspice of help yeah so so the owner of this airbnb who i won't announce given that it seems this is an illegal airbnb in it's in cool Los Angeles. yeah it's great airbnb yeah, it's great it's probably why it's great because it's not allowed but the uh but he has drowned me with messages and it's very clear that if i don't give him a five-star rating he will drown me in messages even further so my incentive is to give him a five-star rating weaponized support weaponized support yeah can we trademark that we should weaponize customer support. Yeah, hey, say what's, good things. We- weaponize customer service. But do you lose the customer that gave you the five star rating to be left alone, and then, but you don't care because the next customer along will see that five star rating and buy a product. Probably it's probably one out, something like three in. Yeah, yeah. So the churn is okay as long as it's net positive, and that actually it makes sense for a consumer business. It doesn't make sense from a loyalty perspective. And if that consumer who gave the five-star rating, despite having a subpar experience, gets off the platform and then rates it, I find it easier to ignore customer service then. Like, I'm not coming back because it sucked. So there is a rating approach that I like that I've seen on a few companies. Mm. But it's if you employ, if you run your own business, employed this person, would you hire them in this position? Yeah. Which I think is, is a great way to, to ask that question. Yeah. Okay, so we're in Los Angeles. We're about to head off to some studios in a little bit. We couldn't meet the deadline to get out of this Airbnb. <laughs> we're, uh, we're on the rooftop. Welcome to the City of Angels. This is my first time. What's your first impressions? Firstly, how can you get to be as extraordinarily old as you are and not come to LA? It's because you've worked in tech. One, that was unnecessary. Two, so it, interestingly enough, um, I hate San Francisco. Like, can't stand it from a professional standpoint. Right. Like as a tech entrepreneur, I spent a lot of time in SF and it was just insufferable. The like kind of douchebaggy tech bro in the corner of some wanky coffee spot talking about the next doohickey to evangelize and save Ugandans like that guy. And it's like, I'll raise ten million dollars. You overhear those things. And it is the worst place to be when you're like slogging through a fundraise. It sucks even extra. Um my best friend is a professional DJ. He's on tour right now, and he works out of L.A. He's based in Denver, but when he's, like, rehearsing before tour, the artist that he DJs for is here. And he hates L.A. for the same reason. It's like it's just this constant dick-measuring contest. And it's awful for him. He loves San Francisco, and I am finding that I don't have anybody to impress here. I'm not, like, doing the professional thing in L.A., although we're working. Oh, because it's not but, yeah, it's. I am finding it completely completely refreshing differently than he does and for the same reason he loves san francisco and I so hate it. the reason i love it here yeah is that it is not i'm going to use your phrase and so you can take the flack for it it's 
it's not hidden dick measuring. It's yeah. not pretending you're not. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. Like everybody is, everybody owns their superficiality. Everybody owns their self-interest. Everybody owns their ambition. There's no, there's no fake humility in this town at all. It, yeah. it ju- you get absolutely what you see. It's, it's fascinating because at first glance, it's superficial and fake. Yeah. But actually, I would say there's more honesty in that here. Maybe. Yeah. There's, it's true. It's like, yeah, I'm just superficial as shit. And I can deal with that. They cop to it. And everybody comes here with a dream. Nobody moves here for the job in the sense of like I'm getting a corporate promotion. Well, maybe the de- there's a, there's still a big aerospace and defense industry just south of LAX. Yeah. Maybe in that world, but for almost everything else, it is I'm coming here with a dream. Whether it's in entertainment law or in or in entertainment itself, and and it, it sort of has that. Even the old guys roaming around, you can still see. We saw some of them last night. You can still see they're just waiting to be waiting to be spotted. Yeah, there's an element of coming here and saying, "I hope I can make it." Yeah, and just the potential, and then even the appreciation of I'm here because I made it, and that's awesome. Versus San Francisco, nobody says, "I hope I can go make it in tech." There's a sense of entitlement yeah. to go to oh, SF. Yeah. It's I'm going there because I do I'm tech, yes. and that's where I'm supposed to be. And uh, it's look, this isn't me. Ran- it is me ranting against San Francisco. Um, that place has changed in a way that I I don't love. And this is one new for me, but two, I, it's it's honest. Yeah, you weren't like so that. happy roaming around San Francisco yesterday. No. Yeah. All this right. bums me out. So my my last observation of LA, my American history professor uh, made the argument that uh, the reason that California is so crazy is that it's not that it was the bravest that kept moving west. Mm. It was if you were so idiotic (laughs) that you couldn't make it in the lush lands of the Midwest where you could spit in the ground and something would grow. (laughs) If you were that idiotic that you had to keep going, keep going until you hit the ocean, that explains the lunacy of California. I'm going to tick you off before we move on and say that I just went and got, I don't know, $19 coffee at Blue Bottle, which is a New York (laughs) coffee shop. Um, and I looked at Billy Reed, which is a New York fashion brand, as I walked past Roberta's, which is a New York pizza joint. And I'm just saying L.A. has better weather, but uh, you took all the best pieces of New York and you brought oh, it to paradise. You so might, you you're might, welcome. You might want to keep your voice down when you say that. And we're <laughs> heading around here. Hey, um, so last thought. So there are two industries here. There's yeah. the industry in uh, uh uh, south of the Santa Monica Mountains, and there's the industry north of the Santa Monica the Mountains. The industry north drives more innovation. Well, it potentially does. And I was thinking about the new, uh, if, if we link Silicon Valley to, to here. Um, I figured that's a- where you're going. The Apple Vision Pro, yeah. those goggles that Apple launched We're going to use it for porn. So the big tell, the big tell was that none of the executives <laughs> actually put them on. Not, not Tim Cook, not any of the design team, not Bob Iger from Disney, who was there to talk about a deal. Nobody put on those ridiculous looking goggles. And therefore, you say from a shaping human behavior perspective what will what will lead people to look ridiculous uh for entertainment and i would just like to posit it will not be it will not be the la basin that we are in right now but the valley over over the santa monica mountains where the other industry lives is like all other tech innovation going to drive adopt (laughs) adoption (laughs) But but so what's really interesting there, right? So yes, and there's the laugh, laugh, wink, wink piece. But uh, the thing that some people, arguably quite a larger number than admit to it, do in the safety of their home, 
in the privacy of their home um, will be what the VR headsets are used for. But the natural byproduct of that will be familiarity with the experience, with the hardware itself. And as folks start to adopt and familiarize, then it becomes more mainstream. Like it will be that I've used that even without saying what I use that for. Um, I expect that the adoption curve will um, accelerate a bit if the industry to the north drives the innovation, the experience, yeah. and yeah, that's well, we may we huge. may see a crash of the birth rate as well. I'll uh, I'll post a still. <laughs> the AP issued this video last week of the London Robotics Show, and it's a particularly humanoid, uh, human-looking robot uh, with with full sort of animated facial features, uh, who's plugged into AI, sort of answering yeah chat GPT type questions. You combine those robots with Apple Vision Pro, and soon we we just we probably won't. Yeah, um, another another quick thread on on just building technology. There is chatter right now that Apple is maybe back to what we know of Apple and something that looks like it did in its prime with Steve Jobs and Johnny Ive and that crew around, and that they've just launched this device. And I'm hearing and seeing even parallels to the original iPod. Bulky, clunky, oh. ostensibly oh, to revolutionize so technology. Like this is genuinely version and one. And it's, jo- it's going to refine and become more slim and sleek and a little bit less unwieldy. And that is what is going to drive user adoption is I saw V1, now we're on V4, and like they have just moved so quickly to make this thing more palatable, more usable, more interesting. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. I, I don't know yet, but I could see that they're on that trajectory because it seems like they started in the right place, which is put the suboptimal device out first and quickly and then move from there. So you're saying that by the time this product launches, even next, I think it's next April or whatever yeah. it is, that that it will be look and feel very different from the version that they that I'd share. imagine even, there will be a lower steps. tier version as well. That's why they started at the Pro and et cetera. Like I it will be telling how quickly V two comes out. Yeah. That actually that it's uh, the rate of change between point A and point B. Yeah. That's what I want to watch. So I'm laughing. I don't know why I'm finding this connection. I didn't tell you this. <laughs> but you sent me out for coffee this morning. Yeah. Uh, this is the second coffee that we're drinking. It is. You sent me out for coffee and I took the rental car and parked outside. The only thing open was the Starbucks at that time because we yeah. got early. And on East Coast there was time. a guy outside who was uh, he was doing that thing where you, you're cleaning the like all the gunk and the mist off the headlights. It's mm. like this headlight cleaner. Yeah. And I've got this old Rav Four, the one that I drove into the trailer a couple of weeks ago. As Water you know. buffaloes. Yeah. And it all of the lights are like yellowish and those <laughs> sorts of things. So I got coffee and I noticed him doing it and I I wondered how time consuming it was and and I walked out and I was like, hey, you doing? And he's like, yeah, I'm doing the lights. We chatted for a bit. I was like. Yeah, yeah, I um, like I I've got this old Toyota. It's like 15 years old that's doing it, and I need to do the same. Anyway, thanks very much. It's great. And then he watched me walk across the street again to a brand new Audi <laughs> that we'd rented. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no, I just look like that absolute madman just making shit up to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I didn't realize that was a punchline, and that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, sorry to the man who was driving a Toyota Prius. Okay. They shouldn't let us out, generally. Uh, hey, can we go back to sort of AI and robots and stuff yeah. and, and moving on from the porn industry? But staying in the dating industry, mm. so so here's a thought that I've been wondering. If, so, so 
if you think about any of those these filtering systems, whether it's for dating or anything else, but you're putting yeah. in your like your criteria. Um, and you might put in, you know, in a dating site, whether you want to have children or not, whether you want to get married, yeah. sort of how you want to live, live your life. If AI is able to capture and filter very specific data, way, way more personalized than, and combine this with some of the sort of predictive health stuff, mm-hmm. um, then, uh, then, then we can based upon demographic data. So there's so much information about ACE. It is going to predict quite accurately whether you're uh, biologically able to have children, yeah. what your likelihood of divorce is with a personality match with, with the person that you, you might marry, yeah. whether you are likely to die at an earlier age or not and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Does that mean if you could pull that, if, if, you, if you saw that in your partner or you discovered that in an existing relationship, yeah. do you start to hedge? So, so let's say Elizabeth's with me, and as a result of the enormous amount of data that can now be pulled, and it, it predicts that actually there's a very strong likelihood I won't make it past 55. Setting aside murder, which is much more likely, but just on that might be part is of the it in data her set. interest to be like, well, I mean, I'm going to stay with him, but I might, I might want to start, I might want to start scouting the horizon when he's sort of 52. Uh, I, I think that has. Uh a wildly negative view. I disagree. It does, but people do it now. So my point is, like, if if you are... If Before you make your point, I if, still disagree. If one is on a dating site yeah. and you're listening, you definitely don't want to have children, and somebody definitely does. Yeah. Like, the, That's an easy out. filter. We, we right. do those filters. Absolutely. Or somebody... You know, what if it well, predicts your propensity that you would eventually vote for one political party, kinda, even though, though you have the views? Right. Like, I, so to, to your to your point, do you start hedging? That would be the practical and perhaps even reasonable thing to do. Rational. rational thing to do. Humans aren't rational. Right. True. So no, I, right. I even think to your example of I want to have kids and the other party doesn't. I think humans have a natural propensity to want to change people. And so what I would expect on something as binary as that, you do, I don't, it's, ooh, but can I convince you? There's just this desire to go that way. But the secondary piece of the like predictive health implications, this person eats poorly and I see that they swipe their credit card at McDonald's four times a week, right? Fill in blank. And the predictive analytics would say this person might not live past 55. I think a human who has some connection with that person. So there's a distinction between dating profile and existing relationships. Relationship. In an existing relationship, I want to mitigate your risk of dying at 55. Therefore, maybe I encourage you not to eat at McDonald's anymore. I think that's what the partner does. Rather than hedge and say they're going to eat at McDonald's, they're going to die, I need to find a new partner. I say, how do I extend the lifetime of my existing partner? I think that's what most humans You're would want to do. You're going to fight the prediction. I think so. You're going to say that you have this, therefore. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, that's why I've had you, you know, every time I suggest we walk, I'm just trying to keep you alive. But that's from an economic interest. It's so exhausting, My kids are dependent upon you being around. Yeah, that's fair enough. Hey, um, so just let's just take a little break. Yeah, only one of us can when die. We, uh, just, just as you're taking the moral high ground on this, let me just bring <laughs> you back to your moral earth. Um, so w- we went to the beach last night briefly. We ate tacos on the beach. We did eat tacos um, on the beach. It sounds much more wrong. It wasn't just you and I. Vera was with us policing things. I don't know if that's better or worse. When, um, as we were walking the beach, there was a parent with their child. And the child was going quite quickly. Mm. <laughs> what did the parents say to the child? Uh, no, the kid yelled to his, like, uh, sibling. Oh, it was, it was an older sibling to younger sibling. Yeah. So the older sibling yelled to the younger sibling. He said, it, it's not a race, fill in blank. And what did you say? What did you yell in that direction? It's always a race, kid. 
Yeah. It, it is. Le- life lessons from Uncle Ace. <laughs> life lessons from Uncle Ace. Okay. Um, as we're talking about race, let's go on. Let's go on to race subjects. Oh, my segues are so good this week. You would think I was in a media city. Ooh, so, uh, black dictionaries. What do you think about black dictionaries? So this this commentary was. Uh, triggered by Tim Scott, who had been running this campaign. Tim Scott is the senator from South Carolina. By the way, we're in South Carolina just day before yesterday. I know it doesn't feel it like a it. Million but years Senator ago. Scott had yeah. launched this campaign, and it was hashtag keep your money. Y-O, keep your money. Mm. Uh, and uh, there's a beautiful takedown by Beverly Mahone on social media, who I think she's an English teacher, yeah. uh, older African-American lady, who is um, giving giving a few lessons to Senator Scott about spelling and that sort of thing but the now you might argue that the source of this is yeah. not appropriate the oxford english dictionary oed let me check it is the oed yep oxford no oxford university press have announced a three-year research project to create the oxford dictionary of african-american english so uh examples of this are bussin b-u-s-s-i-n uh, especially describing food, tasty, delicious, yep. or describing a party or event, uh, cakewalk, grill, a permanent or dental overlay, typically yeah. made of silver or chitterlings, dish made from pig intestines, uh, yeah, old school, relating to hip hop, a dedicated dictionary. How do you feel about that? How should one feel about that? Um, I won't presume to say how one should feel about it. Um, What I will say is I think there are two things here. One is pandering, right? The idea that, well, three things. There's, I think, pandering. So keep your money. Um, And I don't know Tim Scott's background. So maybe Tim Scott comes from a place where that is how he spoke. And, you know, he's connecting with a community that he has an affinity for. Perhaps. Um, I, I haven't followed Tim Scott in depth. Um, although I did think his uh, presidential launch event was distinctly tepid at best. Um, the second is an acknowledgement of the black community in America driving culture. And that has been the case for quite some time. And so the... Um, uh, What's the word? Uh, what's the word where you take things from another culture? Oh, uh, cultural pro- appropriation. appropriation. There we go. Yeah, words. Um, cultural appropriation is real, and yeah, I, uh, I think I was being British. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. oh no, it's that's the colonialism. Other way. That's yeah. cultured. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so just an acknowledgement that yeah, the black community has driven culture for a long time, and we're seeing that. We have always seen that in the zeitgeist. And then the third piece is around language and what is proper and right, etc. And AAVE has been long documented, African-American vernacular English, um, with its own grammatical rules, and it's an amalgamation of um, West Indian culture and uh, um, African Creole culture and English, and then the education that was layered over as folks... uh, (laughs) I had somebody describe immigrating to America and pursuing the dream with respect to entrepreneurs, and they were talking about me and a 
white guy on stage and I made the case that, uh, well, arguably my ancestors didn't immigrate here willingly to pursue a dream. But that's very real. And so there were the layers of what one was taught and how that has manifested. And then some of the um, phrases that come out. Here's a little tidbit. A barrel of laughs. You heard a barrel of laughs. Yeah. You've heard the phrase. Yeah. yeah, we think that's really funny. Um, it comes from the days of slavery when slaves were disincentivized from having fun and enjoying themselves, and so they used to stick their heads in a barrel of water um, if as to be laughing, n- as not to be heard laughing. It was oh. a way to hide laughter. So you a barrel of laughs. Barrel yeah. Of yeah. So if you ever see black folks like just dying at a thing that is funny, and they kind of all scatter and walk away and go laugh on their own, that is just culturally ingrained in the black community and you won't be able to unsee it now it's a whole thing but yeah so there's a lot going on there in tim scott getting flack for you know yo money there and then there's the overlaying expectation that one assimilate and use proper english and how does one define proper it's the main the in group versus the out group there's a lot there this is like a day-long conversation no it's it's fascinating and and what you're describing is very similar to i have a fair number of singapore friends in yeah. Singapore, we Singlish is spoken, sort of uh, uh, a, essentially a Creole language of, of a blend of English with Malay, Cantonese, Tamil. Uh, that is this to to a Brit English speaker or probably to an American English speaker would sound like a very rapid um, staccato almost delivery of English, uh, and. But Singlish is identified as a thing, right? Mm. It, it is, it is an, an, uh, a known quantity. You're describing something similar. I think where I was intrigued by it was the idea of a standalone dictionary, which I felt would be okay if those words were also embedded in the Oxford English Dictionary or Merriam-Webster. Is Merriam-Webster the American one? It is. Isn't it, it is. Yeah. It would be akin to having the Spanish English Dictionary. But, but would it? Because, because it's... It is a version of English, not a version of Spanish. And so, like, in the American English Dictionary, in in Merriam-Webster, you will have words that are used only in the United Kingdom Mm. or only in Australia, and it will be sort of, it will say Austral, and Mm -hmm. then the English term, you know, if you if you put bar- the word barbecue, for instance, would say in uh, in the United States refers to a piece of grilled meat. Yeah. It is a it is much more it, it is interchangeable with grill in Australia, New Zealand, and uh, UK probably. But there's also some standalone words as well. Shouldn't I mean? Aren't we isolating? Aren't we saying that it's not English by having if it's not also included in the OED and Merriam-Webster? I think it is a version of English in the way that American English and British English are different Englishes. So, yeah, it's it's from the origin of Romance language, as English generally is, with all of its exceptions. But even if you think through origin of... Uh, the West Indies being Dutch colonized and English colonized and French colonized and how language kind of was driven from there. If you expect the black community that through the African diaspora ended up in those places, probably taking the same origins and then uh, pronouncing them differently based on place of origin and also using them differently. And so you see some of the diphthongs and uh, Mm. the way that language just continues to grow. I think 
from similar origins ends up in a slightly different place. And so I wouldn't say it's uh, black folks mispronouncing American English words as much as it's black folks pronouncing similar English words, using them similarly, slightly different pronunciation or even spelling. And uh, this would be a linguist to go really deep here. But yeah, I would say it's black English as much as it's British English as much as it's yeah. American English. And I wouldn't say mispronouncing. I, I would say usage of or simply words. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, um, we have to uh, we have to reset this camera to record. So uh, Perry, if we could put a sting here. So we said we we're going to talk about desensitization, desensitization, and normalization this week. Yeah, and uh, there there was a uh, this was sort of brought home to me on Monday where I'm texting my kid from the plane saying stay home because there's an active shooting a few blocks from your house. And it was a, a high school graduation. And yeah. uh, a high schooler and his father was shot in front of various high schoolers. And I, the observable thing wasn't that it was yet another shooting. It was how just it, it doesn't sort of matter in yep. the news cycle. And then this morning, uh, CNN was running in the background, and, and you paid a, attention to... Yeah, there was a French um, stabbing, five or six people stabbed in yeah. France. And my response, I, as I saw the headline, was, holy shit. That's terrible. And my second it. response was, I'm not sure I said that about the shooting in my hometown. Yeah. It was disheartening, heartbreaking to see a shooting in my hometown, but the like visceral response to me said there is something deep-seated that has become desensitized to that headline in Richmond or anywhere across the country, whereas you see that abroad and it's a, oh, God, that has to be awful. And, yeah, it, it, it was enlightening. I'm not sure I didn't know that, but like, there's what the mind thinks and there's what the body does, yeah. and my body acted on that. So one. you sort of reacted more. Uh, you had more of a response to a stabbing in France than you had to a shooting in our hometown. Yeah, yeah because uh, the visceral piece. Yeah, because like the that, that would be. We've been. Uh, Alan talks about this uh, in his in his book and his talks about because we're in this constant cycle of fight or flight because of the news cycle. Yeah we become acclimatized, our bodies physiologically become acclimatized and that makes us less able to spot threats or react in the moments because we're always on alert. Uh, yeah, and you know, this applies in so many arenas, COVID and health concerns did that. We just, we mellowed. I don't know that the risk of the global pandemic and our um, vigilance about it followed the same trend line our vigilance tailed off before yeah. the actual threat did. And that's a function of us being desensitized. It's, uh, so there is some traffic, and actually there's a lot of uh, freedom of information requests going on. There's an investigation in the UK around the COVID response. Mm. And I suspect you'll see traffic, not from the politicians, but from the professionals talking about when they introduced restrictions because they didn't want restriction fatigue. Yeah. You're trying to match yeah. staying in the peak of the public response where the public will take it seriously yep. with the peak. So you actually don't want to you don't want the restrictions too early. Yep. So you, you want that it's a bit of a guessing game, but but you're you're trying to get those to land. Now there was and I'm I'm gonna go here. Um 
the same with the Trump administration. Irrespective of one's politics, actually, the Trump administration was this wild kind of oscillation around headlines and things that in any other administration would have been just mind-blowing, and we became desensitized to that. I think we are going to see the repercussions of what that desensitization was as politics continues to move forward, because it just won't be a, holy smokes, who did what? On either side of the aisle just through that era. And that is disheartening because we should have visceral responses to some of the chicanery that we're seeing in politics right now. So this this concept of of, uh, is normalization good or bad was contributed by one of our one of our fleets of anonymous writers. (laughs) And uh, and it came before that, this, the school shooting. Yeah. But this, this industrialized normalization. I, I just looked up that NBC News has an NBC school shooting tracker, which is just the most bizarre thing where it is counting the school shootings. And it says, as of June 8th, 2023, which is the day that we're recording this, it has been 73 days since the last school shooting because this high school shooting happened at a theater downtown. It wasn't actually on a school campus, so it doesn't count. We're even undercounting because it wasn't actually on school premises. It doesn't count for the school shooting tracker. <laughs> the, the, the young man was in his graduation robes, uh, had just shaken the hand of the superintendent of schools, Jason Cameras, uh, 15 minutes earlier. Um, it, it's, so just this classification, and it does illustrate that sort of what what was raised with us, which is, hey, we, we talk about a new normal. We talk about new normals and we talk about climatization and new operating environments. And even around climate, we talk about having to adjust to climate change. And where are the things that we say, no, 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 we've got to, yes, we have to acclimatize to a new form of work post-pandemic. We have to create the new normal around the technology tools, because once the technology tools are here, you can't take them away. AI is, is sort of the latest example of that. Drone technology and warfare would be another. But where there are things that we can control, where do we, how do we find the language? Maybe we go back to the dictionary. How do we find the language that says, no, we must refuse to accept this as normal. We, we must refuse to accept this violence or climate change, et cetera, et cetera. How long will it be until New Yorkers are just accustomed to wearing masks for a few days out of every uh, summer because of wind direction from forest fires in Canada? Yeah. What, when do we, how do we sort of embed, embed outrage, resistance, frustration? And uh, yeah, uh, to the, to the mask thing, right? We, uh, I laugh because it's, it's heartbreaking to, to be able to say, Hey, that N95 you have from the COVID pandemic that we just all got through is an equally solid tool for you to use for the forest fires blowing into New York City from Canada, where you don't need a sepia tone on your Instagram filter because it's already that color right now in the city. It's um, it, that that is awful. Uh, before we move on from from this shooting, I, I want to acknowledge the the victim, Sean Jackson, uh, the Huguenot High School graduate, was 18 years old. Um, his father, Lorenzo Smith, 36 years old. 18 years older than his son, both died in the shooting, were both murdered. But there was a nine-year-old girl uh, who was was a victim as well, fleeing the scene, got hit by by a car is, I believe, or at least I have seen wheelchair-bound, but certainly in critical condition, uh, was also related to the family. So there is a family in Richmond, Virginia, who should have been celebrating one of the 
most exciting times in their life as this young man, Sean, was looking forward to the rest of his future. And instead, they've lost two people, are dealing with medical expenses for another. And that's fucking hard. We shouldn't be okay with that. So we were working with uh, the American Institute of Architects yesterday in San Francisco. Yeah. We were working through uh, how to how to challenge assumptions yeah. um, in their industry, but how to think differently about things generally. It won't come as a surprise to anybody that the person who's been arrested for the shooting is uh, male. And it got me thinking, I had this weird thought uh, a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Second Amendment. So a well-regulated militia. Well, it turns out that 51% of the gun-owning public in the United States is very well-regulated. Not 51% are all of the, the female gender. Mm -hmm. uh, the ill-regulated section of the population, the remaining 49% of us, is proving to be fairly unregulated. So what if, what if the Second Amendment only applied to women? That, that's my thought. <laughs> what if, what if, in this idea, yes, men could steal guns from you. Yes, they could, but I don't know. We have the technology now. When was the last time that your iris scanner failed on your phone or fingerprint recognition didn't work? All of those things. Let's be serious. All yeah. of these things can be applied to firearms. And what if, what if, what if only women carried weapons? That would yes. be Ooh, interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. Yeah. I think there are rights and responsibilities to exist in a society and arguably the men are rapidly, if not, have not already lost privileges or should at least. Um, yeah, there's, there's something there. Was there, a, was there a, Can was we stay a, on the gender thing? Girls with guns. Girls with guns. Yeah. Can we stay on the gender thing for a second? So yeah. we, we did, we were talking negotiation and influence at uh, the American Institute for Architecture. And part of what we talk about is shifting our language a little bit from it is and uh, with certainty I can say to I think or perhaps. And that is a way to open up uh, the environment in which we're generating ideas as a team yeah. um, or an organization. And I had two women come up. So maybe this is me setting the scene for a subsequent conversation uh, with like EB and Lucy and Jamie and a couple others. Um, but I had two women come up afterwards and they said everything in leadership and management and how to be in the workplace is saying that women should remove, I think, or perhaps from their vocabulary because it makes them seem uh, less competent. Oh. Um, and the perception is that they're thinking about a thing and they don't know it. Um, and so they, they didn't flag that. Actually, what they said is, you've just reframed it for me. And I think is a powerful way to come to the table and say, I believe, or I think this might be the way we move forward, but I could have missed something. There could be other avenues by which to uh, arrive at an outcome here. And it, it kind of brought up another conversation we've been having as we talk about servant leadership. I had a woman have, we had a really great conversation, but she said, um, servant leadership is for white men. White men who can reach down through the ranks and pull people up and, and even from below them, help them to move up through the ranks. Whereas as a woman, I'm expected to serve and not that everybody thinks women are expected to serve, but there's a societal, like, um, the, the, uh, yeah, there's just a societal or gender yeah. um, expectation that women are serving and mothers and taking care. Nurturing is the word that I'm looking for. Um, and so in order to be a servant leader, 
do you diminish your authority and power by being a woman or a demographic that's typically on the outside and supporting people or is it expected and you perpetuate that societal expectation of servitude if you're not a white man and trying to pursue servant leadership? I'd imagine somebody has an answer here, but I thought it was an interesting flag around some of the things we talk about and how they port into other demos. And I'm thinking about caveats uh, or at least owning that as we talk about it to say, hey, there might be a different avenue here, but the core concept is really interesting. So just to be clear, you have just piled in to make additional arguments about the weaknesses of servant leadership, but you've still managed to make the case that I should be a servant leader. No, I'm saying that you could. Yeah, I think you could get away with it. But we talk about this. Remember that thing we did at TWA Hotel when uh, we filmed the thing and you were carrying the bags following yeah. me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and it, how that, that wouldn't work be, the other way. Yeah. That's that's effectively that's the very. So this is the this is the spoof animation we did. We're yeah. getting off an old TWA plane. Yep. Uh, I think we'd been bumped from a flight and we're just killing time. Yeah, we were. But it, I was playing. Uh, I was playing Passepartout to your Phileas Fogg. That's but right. It, but we decided it couldn't have possibly been It couldn't been have the been me way. carrying the bags. And yeah. effectively, servant leadership is saying you carry the bags. And like it, the optics of that are really, really tough, even if there's hierarchy and power. Even if I'm the CEO of the company, the expectation is the black guy carries your bags. No, there's also, that's just the natural order of things. As you were getting your bougie coffee driving your Audi sports car. Through I got your bougie coffee, I was too. schlepping all of this equipment up to the rooftop. I brought you coffee. In the, um, okay. A uh, couple of things to All cover. Right. Uh, one is an ask. We're asking for some data. Um, uh, we're intrigued uh, under the title of Does Bubba Stay Off the Bud? Does Bubba Stay Off the Bud? We're really intrigued. We knew that this, the sales of Bud Light collapsed in the month in which uh, Bud Light uh, worked with a transgender influencer. But we want to see if there's staying power to this process. Uh, to this process. So you took so, one side of this. Uh, you're, I, I, like, don't, I don't think there's stay power. I think everybody will be back drinking Bud Light again. My argument is, is think they're gonna stay? the other side. I don't think it will be because of the social impact or lack thereof of drinking Budweiser. I just think the switching cost between shit beers, of which I am a connoisseur, um, the, stay, the, the switching cost is so low. If you have gotten pissed off at AB InBev and moved away from Bud Light to uh, Miller, for instance, I think it's really easy to stay there. Or you've moved to Pabst. I think it was an easy switch with some catalyst and then it will be there will not be a catalyst to move back and like they're all just really cold consistently light swill i don't think they'll so go back th to but you think they'll just stay i think they'll stay yeah from a behavioral standpoint not a social one i think it doesn't there's no reason to go back so so we're this is an ask for somebody to troll through any of the public data <laughs> see what's happening and i was just thinking i happen to know that he's recently stepped down but i, I know the former chairman of of ab InBev, but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna email him and say hey did did bubba stay off the bud or not that's not happening and i would like for the i would like to account for Folks buying Bud Light. I bought Bud Light the other day. I don't uh -huh. generally drink Did Bud Did you buy Light. it because they because it was like a counter fuck you? It, 
it, it was a fuck you. I don't know if it was a counter. <laughs> I bought it. And somebody asked me, I got to the, the graduation party I was going to with my six or a Bud Light. And somebody's like, is that like your go-to beer? And I was like, no, it's just my axe to grind this week. Oh and God. yeah, so, all right. Listen, I, mate, we have, we have pissed off enough people this week. <laughs> we don't need to add to it. Okay. Uh, I think we should finish here. I'm going to leave us all with this. And this is stolen from stolen from today's uh, email newsletter called The Knowledge. Yeah. Uh, if you don't sign up to it, sign up to it. It's got some really great co content. It's, uh, it's, it's out of the UK and it provides a summary. It's, it's, uh, it tends to lean towards UK news, but it has some global stuff. Uh, but it's well worth a read. And we steal stuff from there fairly often. Although I have noticed some of our stuff's been appearing and I really hope they're stealing our stuff too. Anyway, right. they were promoting uh, a guy named Soren Iverson on Twitter who has... Is he related to Torsten? He's been doing... He might be. He's been doing... The these, these mock-ups of of how we could upgrade software. So one is the LinkedIn nepotism disclosure, whereby uh, uh, his mock-up is Kyle Swenson, the VP of marketing at Burger King, and it pops up a nepotism warning that says Kyle's dad, George, was CMO at Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> There's the, like, the United, these are all fake mock-ups. The United Airlines feature to duel people for their seat. So it gives the list, Rhonda Perkins would like to fight you for, the, for your seat on the red <laughs> from LAX to Newark <laughs> and it gives her weight and height <laughs> and, then, and then this might be my favourite the message typing indicator so you know an iMessage where you can see someone's yeah. typing that shows the length of the incoming message that you're going to receive <laughs> anyway I will post the link to this. absolutely absolutely brilliant um, there's some serious ones I think Facebook feature I said it was the last one it's clearly not Facebook feature to tell you if people actually read the article before sharing and it says so it's uh, Michaela is this mock-up. Michaela skimmed the headline of this article and then shared without reading. Is sort of like, <laughs> oh, that's we actually brilliant. Have the technology for most of this stuff. We do. You know why? Because Apple makes you read their terms and scroll to the end before you can accept it. Would that solve the problem? Yeah, yeah. No, oh, but it would force you, a little You wouldn't bit. be able to post a link until, at a minimum, you'd scroll to the end of the article. Yep. I like that. You All have right. to fully commit to that, though. I, yeah. No, that's last, brilliant. Last one. This is, this is we're going to finish here. Um, and I was thinking about this, and I'm glad we didn't order food for delivery and we went out to get it, is um, DoorDash bite request receive. Can your dasher, your food delivery, have a few fries? <laughs> 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 Which suddenly makes you never want to have food delivery ever again because I suspect the DoorDasher doesn't ask, just, oh, just takes. So on that note, coming to you um, really not live from LA because God knows when we'll ship this out. Next week. Uh, this, my, no, I don't know my name. My name's Scott Wayne. And I'm Ace Colwood. And this was Envoy Recorded Radio. We'll see you next week. Perhaps. Perhaps.